to the latest edition of the show before the show podcast, the official podcast of minor league baseball. Uh, I feel like I just said podcast in a very Midwestern way. I said like podcast, which gives you an idea of what's coming up on the show today. And that is we're going to go to Beloit and we're going to visit with the uh, the Beloit Sky Carp coming up here in a little bit. So I just had to throw on my uh, my most Wisconsin accent there for a minute. Uh, my name is Tyler Mon, joined from New York City by Benjamin Hill and Sam Dykstra. Hello, gents. What's going on? Hi. Uh, I should, I guess, put a spoiler warning that we will not be using that accent for the entire <laughs> show. We, we have not gotten that loopy in the offseason. I think uh, you should try it, at least. You're always lecturing us on how to pronounce Worcester, Sam. Yeah, and that as out of respect for the people of Wisconsin, as somebody who has been on the receiving end of this, I know better than to try their accent. They're lovely people out there, I'm sure. We just had finished up a, a great interview with Maria of the Beloit uh, Sky Carp, which we will talk about in a second. But yeah, out of respect to them, I will not be trying to. I don't even know what you what what would you call what they do to their A's? Butcher. <laughs> Here I am talking about respect, and you just bring out the butcher. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I had to. I had to. Uh, no, our conversation was honestly fantastic today uh, with Maria Valentine from the uh, the Beloit Knee snappers and now sky carp um yeah i don't know they like they like draw them out it's like a weird yeah everything is like kind of e e a sounding a little bit yeah they kind of flatten them i think that's an accurate way to to put it ben how would you describe this do you want to jump you want to wade into the deep end of this pool with me (laughs) no i have um studiously cultivated a uh no accent at all and Ah. every man and any man you are. That is true. And no, being a, being a no origin a story. Philadelphia area guy, what do you say, you know, like the thing that comprises the oceans and rivers and lakes? How do you say that word? Water. Thank you. You're a you're a very normal pronouncing Philadelphia area native. It's not water. Uh, you got it correct. So congratulations to you as well. We're alienating. At, well, I shouldn't say we. I'm alienating every region of the country now in uh, in the way I'm mocking all of your accents, and I'm sorry. Yeah, just sitting high and mighty out there in Denver, he's like, "Oh, we don't have an accent." Now. We don't have an accent. We're you know, we're just like Ben. We're every men and women in the way that we speak to you all. Um, so, <laughs> hey, this is probably not the time when I tell you to go give us a rating and a review and a subscription if you are from either Philadelphia or Wisconsin. Uh, but we welcome you into this week's episode of the show. Before the show, we have a great conversation with the new, uh, newly minted Beloit Sky Carp coming up here in a little while. And uh, it is fully logo November. We are a week ahead of the Thanksgiving holiday uh, a week from today. We're recording this on Thursday, the 18th. Um, and this is right when we get deep into the rebrand and redesign season in minor league baseball. We got a lot of things to discuss this week, which is always very fun. And there is nobody better on the planet to discuss all of it than Benjamin Hill, who is with us uh, before we get into Beloit. Um, Been a handful of teams with rebrands and redesigns. Uh, Where do you want to start? How do we kick this off this week? Well, I feel like um, we have to do it alphabetically. Um, I'm into that. Because I think... Number one in the list of uh, all teams in affiliated minor league baseball is the Aberdeen Ironbirds. I think and, you're right. Uh, Tyler, despite your nice words about no better person to talk to about this, I'd say right now, especially as I'm uh, working to reduce schedule and you are on the logo beat and a uh, devoted logo enthusiast, 
you have just written a story about the Aberdeen Ironbirds and their new look, which is to an extent their oldest look, kind of throwing it back to the start of the franchise uh, 20 years ago. Um, but you wrote this story, so let's flip it back on you. Uh, okay. What is your take and analysis of the new Aberdeen Ironbirds logo? This is very cool. The Ironbirds did uh, go back to a much more retro-inspired logo. Um, for the last nearly decade, I think since 2013, uh, the Ironbirds had a very futuristic logo, and it was sort of a bird, and it was sort of a jet, and it had wings that had jet propulsion coming off of them, and it had like a very futuristic-looking helmet, and it was a total departure from the Ironbirds original logo, uh, which was a very friendly looking uh, fighter plane. Uh, had the number eight on the, on the tail as a tribute to Cal Ripken, who of course is the, the founding partner uh, of the Aberdeen Ironbirds, but they went away from that look for a long time ahead of the 2013 season. And now they are back to a very friendly looking jet. Um, the, the new logo is a logo that the franchise calls ACE the Jet, um, fairly reminiscent of their original mark, according to Ironbirds general manager Jack Graham. Um, they've got an updated uh, color palette, which features uh, a royal blue and a lighter, almost like a, a powder blue, along with orange, of course, as a tribute uh, to the Baltimore Orioles the parent club of the iron birds for, for the entirety of their franchise history. Um, the first thing that I said to Jack Graham on this call is this character looks like he'd be right at home in a Pixar movie. Like that's very much the vibe that you get from this character. Didn't they make a, a planes version of the cars movies called planes? I think so. I think it was, I, I, I want to say it was direct to DVD, but yes, okay. they did. there is a part of the cars, of the universe, cars universe. Right. Yeah. Which is very um, terrifying to think of when when you start dr drilling too deeply into the Cars universe. But yes, <laughs> planes exist, and they also have uh, personalities and souls. I guess our uh, next release from Pixar is Utensils, coming up <laughs> this spring on Disney Plus. Um, but no, I mean that really is what this logo reminds you of. He's got some uh, kind of uh, mischievous eyes, but a, a smiley face, and it's very much the fun, affordable family entertainment vibe. Um, that minor league teams across the country try to cultivate. And it's, it's funny because Jack Graham and I had a conversation and he said like, that's really the image that we want to project. We want people to be happy to wear this logo, you know, out when they go to the store or if they're, you know, boarding a flight to borrow the plane metaphor or whatever it is. And not just when you're coming to a sporting event. I mean, we discussed how, there's been a trend for so long in sports of let's make our logo meaner and more aggressive and with an angrier face and with, uh, you know, more uh, dark and intimidating colors than the last team that did it. And that really doesn't work for minor league baseball. Minor league baseball is a, a organization, a landscape that's built around fun and entertainment and the family aspect and all of that. And to be honest, Winning and losing is kind of a secondary thing in minor league baseball behind the the atmosphere um, and the, the event itself for fans and for fan engagement and all of that. And so that's certainly the way that Iron Brand, that the Ironbirds went with this, uh, this redesign, uh, this latest reimagining of their brand. But the thing that I thought was the absolute coolest uh, among this uh, whole story for them is the way that it came about. And when you ask minor league baseball teams, well, hey, who did you go to? Uh, for this redesign, it used to be that the answer, you know, four times out of five was Brandios or, you know, every once in a while it'd be Studio Simon, Todd Radom, uh, friend of the podcast. Um, he's done some some minor league design work as well. The Brooklyn Cyclones, and the Wichita Wind Surge. Um, 
Aberdeen did it in-house, which is pretty rare. They've got a graphic designer named Kevin Jimenez uh, who joined the franchise in 2018 from the Brooklyn Cyclones. Um, and Jack Graham could not have talked more highly about Kevin Jimenez. He said, I would put him up against any team employee or any agency. Uh, he called him probably the single most talented graphic designer in minor league baseball. And Kevin Jimenez was the one who came up with this look, this new logo, um, new uniforms, all that type of stuff is coming along with it. And I thought that was really cool. Um, a couple of years ago when uh, Nashville did a redesign, they went with the local creative agency. There is a, another organization we'll talk about later on in the segment uh, who rolled out some logos yesterday. We're recording this on the 18th. They went with a local uh, creative agency. So it's kind of neat. We're seeing a movement from certain teams to keep things in house or in their market, um, which is a, a neat and fresh approach. Um, nothing against the, the national designers, obviously, but it's kind of cool to see way the way teams are trying to differentiate themselves uh in Aberdeen I thought really hit it out of the park the the reaction on social media has been uh really good to it the reaction to one of the other teams we will talk about here in a little bit also has been really good to it um but Aberdeen where we're kicking things off uh they they start off our alphabetical look at logo vember with uh with a home run we shall say <laughs> Uh, Beloit would probably be next, but we have a lengthy conversation. About would. That. We'll skip yeah. over the bees and maybe skip over some others to go into uh, another team right smack dab in the middle of the alphabet and uh, a team that begins with mid in its name, Midland, not Midland, Michigan, the home of the Great Lakes Loons, but Midland, Texas, the home of the Midland Rockhounds, longtime Texas league entity now in the double uh, a central and they too have a whole new uh, set of logos, new look, still called the Midland Rockhounds. And yet again, Tyler Mon was on the scene or on the proverbial scene, on the phone, getting the uh, the latest scoop on uh, Midland and their rebranding. It was, it was a neat conversation to get a chance to have with Midland. I talked with um, two assistant general managers uh, with the Rockhounds, Jeff Van Holly and Ray Fieldhouse. Um, Ray is the Rockhounds assistant general manager of operations. He handles uh, merchandise and all that type of stuff. And um, one of them said to me, there was, there was never a discussion that we were going to change the name. Uh, we love the name Rockhounds. We feel like it um, you know, is the franchise identity that we want, but we wanted to modernize the look. And if you look at Midland's old logo, you can kind of see why. It's, it was definitely dated, and that was how they described it. It was a late 90s, early 2000s kind of graphic design look, and there were a lot of things that they really wanted to update with it. Um, I honestly am a little embarrassed to admit this, but I never even realized that the term Rockhounds was actually a, a valid term as it relates to geology, which is weirder when you consider the fact that I've seen the movie The Shawshank Redemption a thousand times, and Andy Dufresne describes himself as a rock hound in that movie. And I had never even made that connection. But rock hound is a term that describes a geologist who searches for oil. In addition to being kind of a slang term to describe people who are into amateur geology, people who collect rocks or shape rocks or, you know, chip away and kind of learn the history um, and all of that. So Midland being in West Texas, uh, an area of the country that was, you know, built basically on oil. Um, the, the Rockhounds name is a great embodiment for that region. Um, and they too decided to stick relatively local. They went with a company called Torch Creative out of Plano, Texas. Uh, and they went to Torch Creative and said, hey, we want to keep this name, but we're open to a lot. 
in terms of redesigning this thing. And what they've got is a great little dog logo. I'm pro dog everything. They've got a fantastic dog logo. Uh, it is a, a, a hound dog, as you would imagine, with the name Rock Hounds. Um, Jeff Van Holly said uh, one of the things that really stood out to him is that the old logo did not have ears, which I don't think I ever noticed. The old Rock Hound logo, the ears, I I guess if you had to make a guess, they were like, you know, uh, they were braided together under the helmet that the Rockhound logo was wearing. Uh, but the old logo had no ears. And uh, Jeff Van Holly said, I have a hound dog. I've got a blue tick coon hound. I know how long her long floppy ears are. And that's one of the things that you first really notice about uh, the new Rockhounds logo. He has a uh, an instrument, a tool slung over his shoulder with a baseball bat handle, which is something that I love. And it is not... I want to be clear in pointing this out. It is not a pickaxe because I made the mistake of saying pickaxe and they said, no, it's a rock hammer, which also is a, a Shawshank Redemption thing. Um, but a rock hammer is something different than a pickaxe. A pickaxe is used for mining. A rock hammer is used more in the field of geology and in oil exploration and all of that. Um, but there are a lot of neat little ties. They've got uh, a dog, ta- dog tag hanging from the word mark that has a star on it. Dog tag, obviously, uh, is a, a tribute to the name Rockhound. The star is a tribute to the state of Texas. It is in the shape of a drop of oil. They also have an alternate logo, which is a dog's paw print made out of five drops of oil. They've got another alternate logo that is the letter M that's made out of two rock hammers positioned against each other in front of a backdrop of the silhouette of the state of Texas, which if you uh, know or have ever um been within earshot of a person from Texas, you know that they very much love uh, the shape of the state and and everything having to do with it, which it's a very cool shaped state. I'll I'll give it to them. Uh, But they really did a very good job with this. And uh, for Midland, it's neat because you rarely see a team that is so in love with its identity and its name, but also very mindful of the fact that its logo needs to be refreshed and updated. I shouldn't say rarely, but it's certainly not as often as we see teams go for full on rebrands to try to cash in on, you know, the merchandising sales and the, and the uh, media um, coverage that go along with a a full rebrand and all of that. Uh, But I thought Midland did a really, really nice job of this. It is a very cool logo. They've got another alternate logo in which the, uh, the Rockhound has a tail. Uh, The last logo, the Rockhound did not have a tail. So they got ears, they got a tail, they got a baseball bat inclusive rock hammer. I think they did a very good job with this. Yeah, and those are the two of the big ones from this week. And uh, as I said, we keep teasing our Beloit segment, but we're going to be talking Sky Carp uh, very soon. And um, but Logo Vember rolls on. We have uh, a couple new marks uh, unveiled by the Bowling Green Hot Rods, uh, tied into their you know already existing logo set. Uh, those are just out um, on Tuesday. The Iowa Cubs, a uh, you know conservative franchise by the standards of you know branding, uh, they have. They've been the Iowa Cubs since 1982, based in Des Moines. And uh, this Tuesday, they added their first new logo since becoming the Iowa Cubs, a uh, alternate cap and, you know, be available on merchandise and in other configurations. But it's an alternate on-field cap uh, that features the fierce side of uh, their mascot. And um, so, you know, they're the Cubs. Cubs are cuddly. Minor league baseball is family friendly. But the Iowa Cubs added a mark to uh, to their logo set, alternate cap, uh, that has a little bit more uh, fierceness to it and a little bit more of a competitive edge. And, you know, just cool to see a, a franchise that does not add too much to its look, uh, you know, finally making an addition as we head into 2022. And um, that one was designed by Studio Simon. 
Dan Simon of Studio Simon based in Louisville and, uh, you know, done a lot of work in the minor league baseball context over the years uh, with all sorts of clubs. So, uh, yeah, what else? Have we covered more or less everything? Yeah, it seems like we're we're having a run of teams who, you know, you mentioned Bowling Green. Bowling Green didn't do a full redesign. They added, like you said, some marks, a new word mark, a new secondary logo. Uh, Asheville, you mentioned before we started recording, Asheville rolled out a new alternate cap. Uh, for 2022 as well, which features their Mr. Moon logo with the the bindle over his shoulder. I know they've had that logo on a cap before. I think it was a BP hat once uh, several years ago. But yeah, it's uh, as we discussed last week or the week before, it's really nice to be back into a November when these things are happening again, because last year we did not get that. And uh, so it's it's pretty cool to get a chance to dive into these things. Um, So should we go to Beloit? I think we should go to Beloit. There's not always literally. more to talk about. We're not going we'll to. Be- You're going to Beloit probably next year. But we're not actually going to Beloit. Right. We're going now. to a Beloit of the mind. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the Beloit Skycarp and Maria Valentine joining the show next. Biggest news in minor league baseball uh, over the past week, probably in the whole month of November or Logovember, was the unveiling of the Beloit Sky Carp identity. They are the uh, Class A, High A affiliate of the Miami Marlins, previously the Beloit Snappers, but they are now the Sky Carp. And uh, anytime a team rebrands in minor league baseball, it's big news, at least in our neck of the woods. And uh, you can check out the article on MILB.com. But of course, we want to talk about it more. And to have more conversation about it, we are joined by a very special guest, Maria Valentine, the Vice President of Entertainment for the Beloit Skycarp. Maria, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. And before we get into all things uh, Beloit and Beloit Skycarp related, um, tell us uh, about yourself a little bit, um, your career in minor league baseball and how you ended up in uh, Beloit, Wisconsin. Sure. So I actually grew up in Wisconsin, just outside of like the Milwaukee area. Um, So about like an hour-ish north of here um, down in Beloit. Um, And so went off to college up in Vermont um, and then actually started my minor league baseball career my summer before senior year when I interned for the Vermont Lake Monsters, no longer a affiliated minor league baseball team, Um, but then had the opportunity to come work for them after I graduated um, and ran marketing and promotions for them for about two years. Um, and then had in uh, connection with the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs, somebody who I'd worked with with the Lake Monsters uh, was down in Lehigh. And so he gave me a call and there was a job opportunity opening up in like November of 2018. Um, and so then spent another two and a half, almost three years with the Iron Pigs. Um, and then this whole opportunity, you know, just hearing about Beloit which I've been familiar with them because Vermont and Beloit were actually tied together um, when they were both affiliated with the Oakland A's. Um, so it always been kind of following, keeping an eye on Beloit. I even remember when I was in Lehigh first hearing about the, the naming competition or like the name, the fan vote that was going out for this and then seeing the five finalists come out. Um, and then they started, you know, looking for a new front office here when the new ownership group came in. Um, and then, you know, just the excitement of building a new stadium, being a part of that rebrand. Uh, it was a ton of great reasons to come home. And now my parents only live about a half hour away from here. We had to move down to this area about seven years ago for my dad's job. So, um, you know, just a ton of great reasons to come back and, um, you know, just really clicked well with the organization and um, kind of getting back into the 
pieces of mining baseball that I love the most promotions, the marketing in game entertainment, all that good stuff. So uh, it's been a fun little journey around the East coast. It's nice to be back in the Midwest. My accent is back in full force um, now that I've been back here. Um, but it's, it's really great to be home and, and be a part of this and doing what I love and in, in kind of my home community. It's pretty cool. Well, Maria, as you mentioned, uh, you came to Beloit and the Beloit Sky Carp organization uh, at an interesting time. The team moved into a new ballpark during the 2021 season, which is uh, a rare uh, occasion to make an in-season ballpark move, ABC Supply Stadium. Uh, the previous home of Pullman Field um, had a lot of issues for a lot of years, and uh, the team would not have continued to play there uh, at Pullman Field with the reorganization of minor league baseball facility standards. Um, so there's a lot going on in Beloit, not just the rebrand, but I don't think maybe a lot of people realize that this team would not be existing right now if it hadn't been for the new ownership group uh, led by Quinn Studer, who also owns the uh, Pensacola Blue Wahoos, one rung above the Sky Carp in the Marlins system. Um, so a lot at play a kind of rebirth and revitalization for minor league baseball in Beloit, which was very much in question. Uh, so what has it been like for you along those lines coming into a franchise in transition? And this rebrand was originally supposed to take place, I believe at some point during the season mm -hmm. as well. Uh, long timeline, lots of work involved. What has all, that all been like? It's, it's been crazy. I mean, tell, you know, minor league baseball in itself, as you guys know, is an, an intense industry to work in, especially in the summer. And then to move stadiums in the middle of the season and have probably about a week to do it uh, was probably one of the most rare experiences I think I'll ever have. And I've never slept better um, once uh, we got through opening day at the new stadium. That was that was pretty insane. Um, but it's a great organization. And we had so much support from our sister club down in Pensacola. Um, you know, tons of their staff has been up here throughout the year. Um, you know, Daniel Venn and Anna Striano their communications coordinator and their retail manager have been on the ground floor with this sky car project since its inception. Um, you know, we wouldn't be here without them and all of their hard work. Um, so it's been really huge to just have that support system of a whole nother organization, um, just being able to take time out of their own busy schedules to support us. Um, so that's been really unique. Um, you know, also really unique having a sister club. Uh, it's something I've really never experienced before, um, where you really have such a tight relationship with another minor league team um, from, you know, sharing ideas, I mean, we all do that, but at the same time, just having this much closer network and relationship has been huge. Um, you know, just so much in place down there that we can take and use up here. And um, Quint really invests uh, in his employees and making sure that we get leadership development training that I really haven't seen before um, from other minor league teams. Uh, it's really unique to be a part of that Studer family of companies for that. But uh, just, it's been a blast getting to know those folks down there and then having them come up here and vice versa, getting a chance to go down. And I got to go down and watch a couple of Wahoos games um, in the earlier part of the season before we moved, uh, which was great just to kind of see their processes and meet their whole staff down there. And we've done sales training. So it's been really great, uh, working with them. And then, yeah, it was, it was an intense stretch, but knowing you've got other people to help support has been really great for us. Yeah. And, and as you guys were talking about there, this feels kind of like the end of the new era. Like there's just so much yeah. of a turning of a page here. And now this new look being okay. in play is kind of setting everything into stone for what the future of Beloit baseball is going to look like. So let's, let's talk about the sky carp in general. Mm -hmm. you, mentioned you went to college in Vermont. I'm from new England. We don't call them sky carp. I don't think a lot <laughs> of people call them sky carp. So given your Wisconsin roots, kind of take us through what a sky carp is um, and why you guys landed on that uh, amongst the many names that you guys had in play, like supper clubbers and the move. Yeah, so it was there was about a 
thousand, there was like a thousand fan submitted names when we first put that out there into the community and said, Hey, what do you guys think if we change our name, you know, what would you like it to be? And so, you know, parsed it down with Brandy always to these five names that one came up multiple times and then two um, really resonated with the community. And exactly if you've ever, I don't think any of you have been to Beloit, but if you ever drive through downtown Beloit this time of year, I laugh now because they're like our friends, but the sky carp are everywhere. They hang out in all of the local parks. Um, what I find really cool is my dad's, my my dad's office is right um, over our right field wall, overlooks the stadium. And this used to be just kind of like a grassy area. And my dad says that he remembers before the stadium was built that it was just all sky carp here. Um, and a sky carp is a Canadian goose. It's a Canada goose that doesn't fly south for the winter. It likes it here so much. It's so content where it is that it doesn't pick up and leave even when it gets, you know, to be negative 10 degrees as it often does in Wisconsin, you know, hashtag polar vortex, uh, really fun and, and in the winter here, but, and, and which is a testament to the people here too, um, you know, rather than picking up and leaving um, and going somewhere else for opportunities, we're trying to make a statement that Beloit is a great place to be and, and why would you want to live anywhere else? And, and so that's the metaphor um, that we found so awesome with the sky carp, you know, the moon is fun and supper clubbers is great. You know, Wisconsin is known for their supper clubs. Um, if you've never been to one, you have to go to a Friday fish fry sometime at a supper club because they're just second to none. But, uh, you know, just what it meant to this community, you know, Diane Hendricks, the woman who helped um, primarily fund this facility with a number of other community partners um, has put so much into building Beloit into a community that nobody wants to leave and attract talent. Um, and I think that's what you see in folks like me coming home for this opportunity. I wouldn't have just moved home for the opportunity. You know, I want to make sure I'm living in a community that I enjoy, that has amenities for me, restaurants, shopping, um, all of the different things that make a community great. And she's done some huge work. And like you said, it's kind of like a little cherry on top, um, the new stadium and, and the new name and just kind of, you know, ca helping catapult this all forward and just you know, we know we've seen it around the country with minor league ballparks, the success that building one in the heart of downtown has on the community. You see new apartment buildings coming up. You see new restaurants coming in. I mean, I look at Indianapolis. I look at Pensacola. Um, you know, we have a sister team that has really watched their community be revitalized. And so, you know, we're just hoping to help uh, with that and bring added value to this community and get more people thinking about, hey, boy, it's a great place to live. Um, and that's what the Skycart means. This is a great place to live. Why would you want to go anywhere else? Rhea, I have to ask you, was Skycarp a term that was in your regular vernacular before <laughs> all of this? Because I know, and it, and it is fan submitted, mm -hmm. so I'm not going to put this on Brandios, but I know Brandios has come up with team names in the past that people have heard the stories behind and thought, yeah, I've never heard that term. Yard goats comes to mind. Nobody had ever heard that term before. Is it related to the railroads and all of that? And it's become beloved, obviously, as so many of their identities do. <laughs> but when you were like growing up for the last few years, you're like, oh man, look at these Skycarp crossing the road. So it was, so when I grew up uh, just further north of here, not necessarily, I wasn't using it in my vernacular, but as I've talked to members of the community here in both like Beloit, Racine, the more Southern portion of Wisconsin, it is quite a popular term. Um, you, you, it's a, you know, you can find the, the, the a less polite definition on urban dictionary for what they like to call, you know, what sky carp means. Um, but it's a relatively used term. It was actually, you know, we had a couple of fans, um, we were driving them to a focus group in a bus and, and they were like, Oh, those darn sky carp. And we're like, wait, what, you know? And then, you know, it's like, Oh, okay. It is pretty used. And Adam McCauvey, he's a, he's a beat writer for the Milwaukee Brewers that actually posed that very same question on his Twitter. And he was like, I've never heard this term before, but 
maybe I'm just ignorant. And it was really fun for us to watch the people from Beloit and Racine comment back to him and say, no, I've been using that term my whole life. I, I talk about it all the time. So I think it's a more Southern portion of Wisconsin thing, but it is definitely a thing. I certainly hadn't used it before, but now I use it all the time. <laughs> The uh, Urban Dictionary definition is very entertaining, and uh, indeed, <laughs> it includes some words that we can't say on a family podcast. But uh, the the way that it's used in a sentence is quote the sky carp set up a turd gauntlet on the bike path, which is probably the first time uh, that anybody has ever said those words on a podcast ever. Um, <laughs> One of the things that Brandios does so well, Maria, is they tie in these little elements of an area's history. And it's really neat how with your your primary marks and secondary marks now, they've got these things that, um, you know, I think, A, people might not necessarily know about Beloit's history, but B, people wouldn't necessarily, uh, you know, identify with a a goose uh, or a sky carp for that matter. Um, There is a wrench that is part of this, which uh, my first thought was like, did the sky carp get in a fight with a logo from the Inland Empire 66ers and then like just stole the thing? (laughs) But there's a really cool story behind that. There's also a really neat story behind the secondary logo that is an underwater goose diving into the rock river wearing aviator style goggles, like old timey pilot goggles, which are really cool. Give us the the background behind those things. Sure. So I love, I love both of those. It was like two of my favorite little pieces that we were able to add into the logo. And so, yeah, the wrench is one, it's initially a symbol of the uh, building, building Beloit, right? We, we are constantly building this place into the best place it can possibly be. But then also it's a, it's a tribute to the blue collar workers here and specifically Fairbanks Morse, um, one of our partners uh, as well, but Fairbanks Morse is uh, Fairbanks Morse defense. Now is their name. Um, they've been a longstanding company here in town. They build defense, um, mechanisms for our military. And a lot of people are employed by Fairbanks Morris here in town. So it was a really neat way. And as we were searching around, we actually found some old photos of Allen wrenches from that have Fairbanks Morris printed on them. And we were like, oh my gosh, perfect style, you know? And so that's actually what we based that the way it looks off of, which I thought was really unique. I was actually talking to um, the landlord for my apartment this morning as I was leaving. And she said that her husband is extremely proud of that piece of it because he used to work there. And just hearing her story about it today was really really cool. cool. And it really resonated. I've seen people posting on our Facebook page saying like, that's awesome. You know, I've worked there for 35 years and you can totally like I've used a wrench that looks just like that in projects. So that's been really cool. And then, like you said too, um, I love the underwater logo itself. And then the goggles are a tribute to Vesica Raish. She was the first female pilot to fly solo across the United States, um, and she's based here in Beloit. Uh, there's actually a diner at the airport, uh, the small Janesville Beloit airport here called Bessie's Diner. Um, again, you know, and paying homage to her. And so it was really cool to be able to add that piece to it. Um, you know, and again, you know, I think Quinn talks about it as, you know, it's another way for us to celebrate diversity and that women get things done. Um, and that's been a really great piece um, to just kind of have in there. We uh, will probably be factoring those into the mascot as well, those goggles. So stay tuned for more on the mascot in the coming months. Um, we're working on that process. Um, but yeah, I love that piece. I love the aviator part of it kind of makes sense for a goose in flight. Yeah. And we've, we've touched on logos here and and the choice of the team name. Let's get into the colors. Uh, Mm Um, because as we've mentioned, you guys are now a Marlins affiliate you have one year of that down. Now these are very much Marlins colors, kind of like a, a blue, red, black. It almost looks like the Marlins uniform in many ways. Um, how much were you guys like discussing that with them and, and how much does that play into it now that these contracts with, you know, parent clubs and affiliates go five, 10 years instead of just two years rotating. 
Exactly. Having a 10 year affiliation and then having colors that tie to your parent club never hurts. Um, you know, it just makes our, you know, our uniforms, our merchandise so cohesive, um, which is something that we did. It did certainly factor in. It wasn't a huge part of it, um, but it definitely was like, hey, this is pretty awesome now that we've signed this 10 year deal and our colors continue to move in that direction. Um, the black is obviously for the iconic color of the goose itself. You know, uh, you know, it's the blackish gray body. Um, the gray ties into the goose as well as, you know, kind of the iron industry here. And, and again, that builder concept blue for the sky as well as the Rock River. Um, you know, right outside my window here to my right is the Rock River. We literally sit right on it. So we knew we had to kind of bring that into it as well. And then the orangish red color that you see, um, obviously it's Wisconsin. We love hunting up here and we have tons of hunters. So we were like, how can we work in kind of a bright pop in addition to that blue to have an additional color as well? So love the color scheme, love that it ties into the Marlins as well. And I think they've really enjoyed it. We haven't, we didn't really necessarily have to clear it with them as our colors are slight variations. They're close, but they're not the exact same. Um, so we were able to kind of, but again, you know, they've had some really great things to say to us and, and, you know, they've shared some kudos this week and they really enjoy the merch. So now we're just trying to get some of our merch down to Miami. And Maria, um, a big part of the Sky Carp name is that it's a metaphor, symbolic in what it represents of uh, this goose who does not want to leave for the winter, who wants to be in Beloit year round. And in talking to uh, Quinn Studer for the MILB.com article I wrote, clearly that was a very important message to him, not just in Beloit, but uh, as a larger American story about uh, you know, exporting talent from small and mid-sized cities elsewhere, and they don't stay. And so a big part of this is, you know, tied in with the new ballpark and tied in with other things happening in Beloit is just telling the story of Beloit is a place where people want to be, where young people want to stay. I've been to Beloit once in 2013, don't have too many strong memories because it was in the midst of a larger road trip. I remember a gift shop that had a big sign that said cheese out front. Uh, I went to that diner, I think it was the road dog or something yep. like that. <laughs> Uh, but I, I don't have a great sense of the city. So if you can speak to Beloit right now and how the Sky Carp name, the symbolism behind the name ties into what's going on in Beloit and um, why people might not want to leave if they live there. For sure. I mean, the first thing I was just kind of blown away with was the center center heart of downtown. It's your classic small town main street. You know, we have state and broad street that kind of intersect in the middle of town. And on that stretch are some incredible restaurants. You've got trucked, which is this awesome taco place with like the best Brussels sprouts I think I've ever eaten. Um, and great margaritas. There's some really great bars with music and karaoke every night. Then you've got, you know, we have sushi, we have a burger bar that actually does, it's called Lucy's and they actually inject the cheese into the burger themselves. So it's like mac and cheese on top of the burger cheese inside of the actual patty is, is that so a juicy lucy is that what that is no uh, lucy is like another historical figure um from town who was uh she helped during world war ii i'm gonna botch her story so i won't i won't try to get into it too much but because there's this collection of like because like in iowa there's like loose meat burgers yeah. <laughs> and then there's juicy lucy's which i think now that i'm thinking about it i think it's like an ohio thing it is so I didn't, yeah. never mind it just jumped no down. but I'm you're sorry, right upper it's, Midwest, you would think i didn't mean it it's amazing though, like the, the stories and the tie-ins there. Cause that's what I thought too, when I first went and then I was reading the story on like the placemat and I was like, oh, it's not a juicy Lucy. So I, but we've talked about Lucy Goosey is potentially a name for the mascot. We've been throwing around. <laughs> we've been having a lot of fun with the mascot names in this office. That's all I'll say on that front at this point, but we've got some good ones coming, but yeah, it's just, this incredible downtown. I mean, it has the best farmer's market. 
um, in the summer out of pretty much all of Wisconsin. It ranks like number one or number two, just incredible vendors and just so much fun stuff to do both outside in the winter and then the summer. Um, you know, we've got a great concert venue, not too far, will be a new concert venue as well for the city, um, you know, just with our space and some really unique event centers, um, you know, just some really pretty parks along the Rock River right through the downtown area, um, some great outdoor amphitheaters there for summer concerts and things. Um, and then we're really close to Janesville and, and Rockford as well, which are also becoming really big communities with a lot of new amenities, but some great cafes. I love the coffee right downtown. There's a couple of great coffee shops that I'll go work in if I just want to get out of the office. Um, and then some really awesome new apartment buildings that have been built um, in the area. I live in these awesome lofts that like just kind of are like a stone throw away from here. Um, they've just been really building up and it's this the vibe downtown. You can just feel it. Um, what I really enjoyed about our unveiling day as well is we had community members model the jerseys and each one of them had their own Skycarp story. I think my favorite one was this woman named Jackie Finnegan. She grew up in Zimbabwe and then lived in South Africa, Germany, Ireland, and then moved to the United States and got a job with Carry Ingredients, which is based here in town. And she could work really anywhere. Like she can be remote. And she came to Beloit in 2019 and is like, oh, I'm never going anywhere else. She loves it so much. She loves everything about this place and has obviously lived in some really unique parts of the world and has chosen Beloit as her hometown and, and genuinely doesn't see herself going anywhere else uh, going forward. She also has like the coolest Irish accent as well, um, which is just, you know, an added bonus. Um, but she's she's awesome. And it was really cool to hear these folks stories. You know, we had someone else who's lived in Beloit for 35 years, won't go anywhere else. Our VP of sales grew up here in Beloit, went to Beloit Turner High School, um, worked for the Chicago Cubs, worked for the Diamondbacks down in Arizona, and then had this chance to come home. And now, you know, he doesn't see himself going anywhere else. So uh, it's been pretty cool to hear all those stories as we kind of built up this day. Um, and then I can just kind of see it as I live here. You know, there's so much good stuff going on. We have a college in town, too. So there's a bunch of young kids as well, which is always fun on the weekends to see them out having a blast. So it's a, it's a great place to live. I'm really enjoying it. And last one for me on this, in terms of seeing it out in the world now, you know, the, the announcement has been there. You guys have known what this has looked like for a while, but then all of a sudden, like, what was that moment? Do you remember like first seeing maybe is that at the grocery store or seeing a cap or something like that outside of a big event, outside of anything now, just knowing that this is a part of the community. Yeah. When and the second that event ended, my stress level like dropped. It was, it was insane just how much calmer I got. And then, you know, it's just like, Oh, it's out there. But I was driving up to Janesville to hop on a radio station to do an interview with uh, their sports talk show. And I was driving, I turned and looked to my left and the guy in the car to my left was wearing one of our new caps because I could see the orange bill. I, it was like the, it's the black, white, and orange one. And I was like, yes, like my guy, like somebody's rocking it. You know, we had to come to the store to get it. Cause we hadn't even started shipping yet at that point. Cause it was, this was, um, Tuesday, uh, you know, so just the day after, and it was just awesome to see it, um, you know, to see it out on someone in the community, you know, just right away already repping it. Um, you know, and I've talked to some people after the event who were at the unveiling event and just, you know, the conversations they've had with folks in town about what they think. And it's been really great just to kind of see the community embrace it. I mean, the orders have been flying in, people have been visiting the store all week. So uh, it's nice to see people getting behind it. Yeah. And tied in with that, um, anytime in minor league team rebrands, it's not without controversy and debate. And certainly people who have emotional ties to the previous name of snappers. I know there are a lot of people in town who say, why not the snappers? We need to be the snappers. Then a lot of other people in town who see the five name finalists and say, I don't like any of these. Um, 
you know, I interacted on Twitter a couple, uh, quite a bit over the last months or year with the Beloit River Rockers guys, mm-hmm. some local fans who have uh, who created their own River Rockers identity. And, uh, you know, we're really passionate about saying like, hey, this is another route the team could go. In short, a lot of discussion and debate, mm-hmm. a lot of, uh, you know, negatives and positives. Sure. Uh, what it's been what has it been like for you in terms of people who might be a little more skeptical Uh, getting this message across and the kind of feedback you receive on that front. For sure. I can totally appreciate, you know, change is never fun. Um, It's never easy, right? But it's the one thing in our world that is genuinely always constant is change. Um, And, you know, I mean, I I think I appreciated a few folks on Facebook who were reminding everyone that, hey, remember when we lost our Brewers affiliation and we had a change from Beloit Brewers to Beloit Snappers and we all didn't like that so much. And, you know, now we're kind of hitting that same cycle, but I can, I can definitely appreciate it. You know, it's been 25 years of the same name. That's, that's a lot of change. Um, Definitely you know, not easy to get through, but, you know, this is all part of a bigger plan. Um, and, and, you know, I ask, you know, I hope folks can get behind us and, and, and appreciate it. And, you know, we appreciate the river rockers and what they were going for. I think folks need to remember too, that trademarks are incredibly important and there are certain words and, and team names out there that are simply off limits um, from a minor league baseball standpoint. Um, you know, the Green Bay Booyah just actually rebranded to the Green Bay Rockers, but that's something they can't trademark um, because Rockers can't be. And Major League Baseball wouldn't allow us to do something non-trademarked. Um, those guys don't necessarily live locally anymore. They grew up around here. Um, so while we certainly appreciate their passion and they've been great supporters of us too, um, you know, really kind of, I think, helping fans see um, how this is a benefit as well, you know, and we can appreciate that folks are folks are bummed about this. But, um, you know, I think at the end of the day, what I've, you know, try to remind people is, Hey, we were this, like this close. We were so close to not having professional baseball here at all. And, and, and that is such a huge win for this community to still have it. You know, I don't know if Quinn hadn't stepped in, if Diane hadn't committed to helping build this new stadium, I just don't, I just don't know what would have happened if this would have even been independent ball at Pullman field anymore. Um, just with, a nonprofit organization running and at the time. So, you know, at the end of the day, if this is what helps us keep baseball here, great. And, and to be honest, sometimes I'll ask um, those fans who are out there on social media right now, um, where have you been? Uh, You know, there, you know, we look at merch sales in 2019 and we look at, you know, we had seven season ticket holders in 2019. Uh, You know, I ask, I ask, where have you been? You know, we missed you, you know, we're glad that you're back and getting involved. um, But, you know, we certainly hope that, Uh, you know, if, you know, we just didn't, there wasn't enough of a reason for us to say, Hey, maybe we should, you know, we got a brand new giant team store at the ballpark this year. And uh, we watched merch sales hold steady and not where they needed to be. And, you know, this is a beautiful ballpark and we don't ask our taxpayers to pay a dime here. This is privately funded. Um, And a big part of that too, then means we need to be able to make the money to keep the lights on. Um, And so, you know, merchandise is a big piece of that too. While it's not the only reason, you know, obviously the, the more of the focus was creating a name that really resonated with the community but also having strong merch sales certainly helps us keep the lights on and it allows us to do a lot more um, than have something that's been really stagnant. You know, I see people come to games in their t-shirt from the eighties that's or the nineties, you know, then they've never bought anything new since then. And so, you know, it's like, all right, well, you know, we had to come up with something fresh and fun for the community to get back behind and kids seem to be loving it. So that's a good part of it too. But I always appreciate it. I appreciate their feedback. And, um, you know, I respect, you know, I had a hard time. I'm a Milwaukee Brewers fan at heart. And when Miller Park uh, no longer sponsored Miller Park and it's American Family Field, that wasn't easy. But at the same time, working in sports, I can appreciate um, what the Brewers had to do there to make that change. So 
it's never easy. It's never fun. I still miss say it, but um, you know, and that doesn't mean we don't have snappers merch in the store too. So if those folks want to get some, we have a legacy collection as well. So. Yeah. And we'll close with this uh, next year, your full se- your first full season at ABC supply stadium. Mm-hmm. And that ballpark is in the South end of Beloit. And then South of Beloit is South Beloit, which is in <laughs> Illinois. Correct. <laughs> and you are very close to the state line. And people like ballpark quirks. Is it possible to hit a ball from the ballpark and have it land in Illinois? Uh, 100%. Yes. So if a player hits a foul ball over right field or over first base and it ho- it hits the concrete, it hops into our parking lot on the other side of the street. It's in Illinois. So not only can they land in the Rock River, they can also land in Illinois, which is just hilarious. I mean, we literally like our street that we park on is Illinois. And so it's just so funny how tight we are to the border um, all the time. Like the welcome to Wisconsin sign is literally like just down the road from our stadium. So pretty, pretty unique um, just how close we are to the border it kind of blows my mind when I explain that to people. I'm like, no, I'm literally on the line basically. Um, and they, that's why they call it the state line area. Um, cause we hang out right on the line. <laughs> there you go. Hanging out on the line, walking the line and, uh, looking forward to a, an interesting and, uh, hopefully successful season in 2022 as the sky carp take their day, make their on-field debut. Um, Maria, thanks so much for joining us on the show before the show podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Well, a huge thanks to Maria Valentine of the Beloit Sky Carp. It's going to be uh, one of those brain adjustments to uh, get to the point where I'm not calling them the snappers. It's also, uh, we bid farewell to maybe the most innocent minor league logo. The the little guy in the snappers logo, he just looked like a... He looked like a little turtle headed off to school for the first time. Like he had like, he's like a little, got a little shell. It looked like he needed a backpack on. He was so cute. I, like I mean, him. that's the thing is that between Midland and Beloit, I feel like we lost maybe our two most nineties looking logos. Yeah, that is probably true. That Which, is, that is probably, and the it, Iowa Cubs updating that hat that, you know, now you lose an eighties looking logo. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Iowa. <laughs> I mean, if you're very into that aesthetic, I know fashion is kind of cyclical. And if you just waited out, maybe that stuff would have made a comeback. But the fact that it's been around so long, it did feel a little stale. Um, I, I will miss the Midland crime dog. But even that refresh is kind of like, oh, no, it's just a new yeah. paint on that. Guy. Similar. Yeah. It's a makeover. Um, but yeah, Beloit, I think that 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 was a long time coming. And Skycarp just works so well. I know we just ended the interview with Maria and her talking about like dealing with the negativity of it, but I think they buttoned it up. So like just having so many reasons why they picked that name and yeah. why they picked the logo set. And um, it, it feels like they had no stone unturned, which I think is a great way for dealing with haters. And like, why did you choose this? Well, this is why, and this right. is why it has the wrench and this is why it has the goggles and this is why it's blue. And this is why it's, it's beyond just being a Marlins affiliate. Um, sometimes that can feel kind of like, done after the fact of we want this and we're going to come up with reasons later, but this seems thought of at every single step. Um, totally agree. And if you do it well, um, then you have the option to do things, you know, bringing up the Nashville sounds again, then you have the option to do things of selling or wearing throwback gear too. The sounds have a tremendously successful throwback logo um, that they've utilized over the last several years. And, you know, I know it'll be probably a long time before we maybe see a, a Beloit snappers throwback night or, a, a, you know, Midland Rockhounds um, throwback evening where they wear the old uniforms or um, those types of things. But teams are now very mindful of all that stuff. Uh, which is really interesting too. And 
all of this comes at a perfect time of year because now you too can snatch up some of that merchandise ahead of the holiday season. Yeah, Tyler. Black Friday came early for minor league baseball fans. Get over to MILBstore.com for our Buy More, Save More event. Mix and match with your favorite MILB teams. The more you add to your cart, the more you save. The big sale ends November 28th. That's November 28th. So get your holiday shopping done early and hit a home run with MILB gifts for everyone. I think that, I mean, that pairs incredibly well. We talk so much about why Logovember is a thing. And part of it is to get uh, orders in for the holidays and make sure every minor league fan in your life uh, can get the newest stuff in time for, you know, the holidays at the end of December. So um, the fact that this is this Black Friday uh, deal coming up, you definitely want to take advantage of that while you can. And again, the deadline on that is November 28th. I'm sending Sam my list of things that he can buy for me with said discount. (laughs) You're welcome, Sam. We're sending everything to you, but I want you to pay full price. So, uh, well, let's kick things off with uh, sort of a modified three strikes here toward the end of the show. I think we're only going to have two strikes. We're going to leave this at bat uh, going on into the ether for infinity. Uh, but we are going to kick things off with a major story, a major announcement from Major League Baseball that literally just arrived in our inboxes uh, not even a half hour ago. Uh, quoting from the press release, quote, As a continuation of their commitment to a first-class player development system, Major League Baseball's owners today announced a new minor league housing policy that is expected to provide more than 90% of assigned minor league players across every level with furnished housing accommodations at each major league club's expense, beginning with the 2022 season. The minor league housing policy is designed to provide minor league players with limited exceptions, and this is important to just keep in mind because it is Very limited. I know there was a lot of debate about this when this story first kind of came out and started germinating. The limited exceptions would be, for example, players with existing major league uniform player contracts, those guys who are on the 40-man roster and are currently on a minor league team, or those scheduled to earn six-figure minor league salaries over a full season. So those are the exceptions. Um, But the housing policy is designed to provide minor league players outside of those with housing while they are playing or practicing at any player development level. So AAA, AA, high A, low A, or a spring training complex, meaning extended spring training, the Arizona Complex League, the Florida Complex League, et cetera, under the new minor league UPC, the uniform player contracts. Uh, That is a massive step. Um, One thing that has been discussed for not just the last few years with how this conversation has gotten so loud and so into the mainstream, but really for uh, decades is minor league housing and what a headache it is for players, uh, especially, you know, players who are moving players who are being called up players who are being sent down. You sign on to a lease with a roommate and the roommate gets called up and all of a sudden nobody moves in. And then you're responsible for the, the lease in total. And you can't afford the whole thing. This is a huge huge step. Um, Sam, take it away with your thoughts. Yeah. I mean, we talked about this a, a couple of weeks ago when it was first announced by MLB that uh, MLB would take be changing its housing policy and would be taking care of housing uh, for 2022. And what we kept saying was, this is great. It's a great announcement. We're glad it's happening, but we need to see the details. We want to see what's going to happen. Um, so now that we have some of those details, let's just walk through them real quick. Uh, housing must be at a reasonable commutable distance from the ballpark. Uh, There must be bedrooms must contain a single bed per player, and there cannot be more than 
two players per bedroom. Um, so uh, you may have seen pictures on, on social media of players, you know, five, six to a bedroom trying to sneak their way in there, um, crowd their way in there. It's not a very comfortable living space. It's not great for athletes who are trying to, you know, make the most of their bodies on any given day and are expected to perform at a high level. So a little bit more space. Um, I think that no more than two to a bedroom, I think is going to be huge in, in taking care of uh, making sure things aren't too crowded. Uh, accommodations must be furnished. So you can't just say, here's a room, do with it what you will. Uh, the teams have to take care of furnishings, furnishings as well. Um, they have to take care of basic utility bills. Um, host families are still an option. So that's something that some markets might deal with. Uh, but if host families, if rental homes, if apartments aren't available, clubs may choose to use hotel rooms uh, that satisfy these standards as well. So uh, if you can't find something close to the ballpark in terms of an apartment or a host family, like we were saying, uh, they have to provide hotels, which is great as well. Um, Tyler, you already mentioned that it only applies to players under the Meyer League UPC. So, yeah, I think the big deal here is what you talked about earlier, Tyler, and that there being no more leases. Players don't attach their names to a lease and then go from Midland to Las Vegas, say. Uh, and then they're on, even even if you're not left behind, even if you're the one moving and you signed on a lease and the new guy comes in and something happens, it's on, it's on you. So now the fact that these leases are no longer on the players, I think is a major, major step here. Um, the fact that they don't have to pay for these anymore, I think is a big financial step. Um, there's still some room to grow there on the financial side. And hopefully we can talk about that more someday. Uh, if financial capabilities for minor leaguers are expanded going forward. Uh, but in terms of just a better environment for minor leaguers to be in off the field, this is a major step and, and a very, very welcome one and a one that was a long time coming. But I'm um, excited to see what it looks like being put into place uh, in 2022 and the effect it'll have on players knowing that they don't have to worry about this part of the game anymore. It is a very big step and um, something that really helps move the player development system of, of minor league baseball to a place where it needs to be. Um, and so next year, it'll also be really interesting to see how this uh, creates partnerships potentially between communities and franchises. I mean, is a, is a team going to go in and, you know, purchase uh, an old rundown motel and be able to refurbish it and create it into something that is, uh, you know, a boon for the community outside of those summer months when it's being inhabited um, by teams. I think there is so much potential for really neat partnerships uh, to make this a tenable situation for minor league teams, for minor league players, and for major league organizations. And not only that, but it's going to provide players better pathways to make the most of their talent going forward. You're no longer worried about going home and sleeping in a bathtub or on an air mattress because you have accommodations that are worthwhile uh, for a world-class athlete. And uh, I'm just so happy for, for minor leaguers who will get a chance to benefit from this and, um, and we'll see how it goes uh, into 2022 and beyond. Um, the last minor leaguers who are taking part in uh, baseball competitively right now, at least in the United States, are those in the Arizona Fall League, where the league comes to a close this weekend with the AFL Championship game. We already know one team that has clinched its berth uh, in the AFL Championship game uh, in its division, and that is... 13 and 13 Mesa. The Solar Sox are two and a half games up on 12 and 17 Scottsdale and four games up on 10 and 18 Salt River. On the other side, 
everybody's good in the Arizona Fall League West division, and nobody's clinched. Surprise is 16 and 11. They are uh, in a virtual tie with Glendale, which is 17 and 12. Peoria is one game back at 15 and 12. So the, the AFL West division right now has the teams that have played better, but uh, nobody's been able to clinch that division as of yet. But Mesa is on to the championship game coming up this weekend. Um, Sam, a preview at least for one team with Mesa making it in. And uh, who you got coming out of the West? Yeah, uh, well, I, I, it's almost impossible for me to predict who's going to come out of the West, but I will talk about Mesa. I'm going to make uh, my Mesa prediction. has so take that. Orioles. What, what was that? I said, I'm going to make that my prediction. So take that. Okay. Oh, there you go. <laughs> uh, Mesa has Orioles, Cubs, Marlins, A's, and Blue Jays prospects, which if you've been following the AFL along with us the last couple of weeks, you know, there are some big time performers on that team. The, Nelson Velazquez entered the week, at least as the favorite to win AL, AFL MVP. Uh, J.J. Bleday joining him in the outfield there. He was the Fall Stars game MVP. Uh, check back on, on MLB Pipeline. We covered the heck out of the Fall Stars game. I won't get too much into it because it's basically a week old at this point. But J.J. Bleday homering in the Fall Stars game. He's had an incredible turnaround uh, this autumn down there in Arizona. So those two guys will be there. Gabriel Moreno is going to be there as a member of the Blue Jays organization. Might be the best overall hitter in the Fall League at honestly, uh, since Spencer Torkelson went down. Uh, I love his ability to spray the ball all over the field. He actually had the hardest hit ball in the Fall Stars game, so he'll get an extra crack at it. Uh, I think he's actually heading down to Venezuela to play in their Winter League after this, so he's making up for a lot of missed time uh, that was caused by a fractured thumb. Where he will compete against friend of the show, Todd Van Steensel, who recently signed uh, with the Tigres of uh, Aragua. Can't remember, but TVS down in Venezuela as well. Yeah, so uh, we'll be keeping a close eye on Moreno and and TVS as well um, down there. But yeah, tune into that game Saturday at 7 p.m. Eastern. Uh, it'll be on MLB Network. It'll be on MLB.com. It'll be on the MLB app. Lots of ways to follow that game. And that'll be the last game of the Arizona Fall game uh, Fall League. Um, so it's been a crazy six weeks. We'll wrap it up uh, next time we have the show. I'm, I'm sure there's going to be lots to look back on. Um, but yeah, it's been a, an exciting AFL so far and we'll see who the champion is going to be crowned on Saturday. Uh, I, I don't know who's going to come out of the West. So keep, keep an eye out for MLB pipeline to see who clinches there. I got Peoria. That's who I got. Peoria is seven and three in its last 10. They're storming to the finish line, Sam. I mean, that's, that sounds great. It's just like, there's so much turnover on an wow. AFL roster, not just day to day. You don't know who's going to start. So it, it's great that they've won. 70% of their last 10 games, but you don't know who's going to be in the, in the lineup tomorrow and how the, their own momentum is going to affect things. So I also, it, you have a one in three chance. Tyler. I also would love to know what the tiebreaker procedures are uh, in the AFL. Like if, you know, if two teams finish tied and then it's like, well, it goes to head to head. And then it's uh, you know, like, I, I would very much like to know how deep things go for the tiebreakers in the AFL. Cause I feel like it's gotta be like, you know, normally leagues have like, Oh, there's 17 steps. And then you get to the last one and it's just a coin flip. Just end it. I feel like in the AFL probably hasn't happened that often. And so it's like step two is just like draw straws. I don't know. Get somebody into that game to play Mesa. <laughs> My assumption. Also, I want to point out uh, just before we wrap up this segment, we're not going to um, talk a lot about it because it happened a few days ago, but I just want to point out, that my pre-Fall Stars game selection for game MVP was J.J. Bleday, and he won it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I pointed that out. I think I remember that before you, you did. did. You did. 
Yeah. And mine was Juan Yepes, who had two doubles in the game and was the only guy to have multiple extra base hits. So we did all right. We know what we're talking about. We did do pretty good. I was very proud of us for that. Yeah. Um, so it's uh, I can't believe we're already down to the, the end of the AFL. Um, it's crazy as it is, but uh, that's where we sit and we will uh, wrap it up. Uh, not just the AFL on our next episode, uh, but we're going to wrap this episode up coming up next. Uh, Josh Jackson is going to swing by with ghosts of the minors, which his mom and stepdad finally got a chance to tune into. And they texted him yesterday that they loved it. So that's a very good development for Josh. He was very pleased about that. But Josh Jackson steps by with ghosts of the minors next. this podcast to bring you another thrilling edition of ghosts of the miners now here's your correspondent and host joshua jackson welcome back to ghosts of the miners in which all of you out there in radio land must identify the legitimate historical ball club hiding amidst the fraudulent pair. One played ball right here on Earth. The others were products of flights of fancy. In the last segment, I asked you which of the following minor league baseball teams did at one time exist. A. The Bethlehem Bookworms. B. The Logan Collegians. See the Williamsburg Philosophers. If you know anything about higher education at a higher elevation, you already knew the correct answer is B, the Logan Collegians, who played in the town that's been home to Utah State University since 1888. In 1902, the Collegians debuted in a ragtag independent circuit called the Utah State League before playing in nebulous semi-pro leagues for years, then matriculating into the minors proper in the mid-twenties. In 21, the Collegians and the Northern Utah League went to class and got a D. Class D, that is, their first classification. Logan was helmed by a Jack Coburn at the start of the year and a Louis K. Falk by the end. Obedient schoolboys were hard to come by for the Collegians or anybody else in the Northern Utah League that year. Before the season even began, the Logan and Ogden clubs had a rigorous academic debate over the standing of Carl Stubby Peterson, who skipped school on a Collegians contract the previous season to join the Yellowstone League before returning to sign with Ogden. So disorganized was the circuit that the Collegians and their smarty-pants competitors flunked out of the recognized minors. The Collegians didn't get out of detention until 1926, when they joined the Class C Utah-Idaho League for that season and the next. Even though those Logan clubs featured Dolph Camilli, who went on to play 12 seasons with the Phillies, Dodgers, and Red Sox, the most noteworthy Collegian was probably one from their rough days as underclassmen of the baseball world. The 0-2 squad was managed by 45-year-old Harry Stovey, who at that point was already a decade removed from a playing career in which he set a record with 122 home runs in the major leagues. And that closes the books on the Collegians. Now, on to the question for next time. Which of these numerical clubs couldn't make it add up in the minors of yours? 
A, the Centralia Zero. B, the Port St. Joe Lucky Seven. C, the Niles 59ers. Want to know the answer? Grab a calculator. Or tune into the next Ghosts of the Miners. But for now, you'll have to excuse me. My producer, Ben Hill, is trying to make coffee, and the man has no filter. Final segment of this week's episode of the show before the show. Did I just say E-show before the show? It's the E-show before the show. This is now electronic. It's like in the early 2000s, and people just added E in front of everything. And then in like the late 2000s, everybody added I in front of everything because of iPods and iPhones. This is now the E-show before the show. I mean, isn't podcast itself kind of like playing into that? Yeah, pretty much. E-podcast. Yeah. I mean, podcast comes from iPods. That's where the right. term podcast comes from. Right. So yeah, that's uh, this is now the, the E or I show before the show. The evolution of, of language. Uh, <laughs> um, before we get out of here, we want to wish you all uh, the happiest of holiday seasons coming up. Obviously, we're going to be back with you here in a couple of weeks, but Thanksgiving next week uh, or whatever you choose to celebrate. If it's a Friendsgiving, um, if you are honoring uh, indigenous culture with a, with a celebration of your own, um, if you have a a holiday that's special to your family or, or something that you do. We won't be with you next week. So we want to wish you uh, the happiest of that. Uh, Sam, two questions. A, what is your plan? And B, what's your favorite Thanksgiving side? I feel like we do this every year, but I never remember. I think we do. I mean, it might be fluctuating. Um, I will be going back to Massachusetts. Uh, Very cool. Exact plans are, are TBD. Palma? But... Palma, Mass? Palma. Yeah, we don't talk like that out there. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I will be back in Palmer. I will be in Manchester, Connecticut for at least part of Thursday. There's a Manchester, yeah. Connecticut? There is a Manchester, Connecticut. Yeah. And a Manchester, for- New Hampshire, where, of course, our friends in New Hampshire Fisher Cats reside. Yes. And a Manchester, Vermont, and a Manchester by the Sea, Massachusetts. Right. Good movie. about that. Um, movie. Anywho, but in Manchester, Connecticut, it's the town my, my mom grew up in. There's a Thanksgiving okay. Day race every right. year. Right. I remember and- this. Yes. So we're doing that again this year. Last year we did it virtually. Um, so that, that'll be fun. Uh, and my favorite side, I'll probably say stuffing. I'm a, I'm a big stuffing guy. I didn't Same. like stuffing growing up, but now it's just like, this is just pure flavor is all this yeah, is. It's fantastic. Uh, it mixes well with everything. You can put it in the potatoes. You can put it in the gravy. You can take a slice of turkey, put it on top of that. Cranberry sauce is always close. Uh, and Tyler, you and I were talking earlier about canned we were or team canned here canned cranberry but, sauce is good what's everybody dunking on team canned cranberry for i don't know it's, i don't get it not everything in the world has to be like oh we slaved we made it from scratch it took 87 hours blah 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 if you would explain to people 150 years ago you could just crack open this can and fresh cranberry would come out okay maybe not exactly fresh but delicious flavorful cra- their brains would explode they would be so envious uh yeah. like canned cranberry is good man i'm into it i like yeah, the fret the other stuff too but like canned cranberry is fine i'm totally there, there's lots to make in the kitchen and i appreciate everybody who puts in the work there yes absolutely uh, you know, like there's a lot of time devoted to things. And hey, if you like devoting time to cranberry sauce, sure. you go right on ahead. That's fine. But I feel like the trade-off there is like if you got turkey from a store, it would not be as good as what you make in the oven. Right. So like spend more time on the turkey than right, you do right, on right. The That's the money dish. Or like, yeah. 
Yeah, like the cranberry. It's not like you go from like a four to a ten by doing the the made from scratch cranberry over the the canned cranberry. Like at best, you're going like seven to eight. Like it's not you know you're not right. reinventing the wheel by making the fresh cranberry. It's fine. Um, I'm with you on stuffing. I would also say I do very much like the like the green bean casserole with like the the fried French onion stuff on top and the and the cheese and all that. Do you guys do anything like that? Um, I'm sure it's been served at my family dinners. I'm just not one to enjoy that. Yeah. But. I'm, you know, anything that has fried onions and cheese, I'm very into. I also like, I'm going to make, well, last year I will, uh, I'll toot my own horn a little bit. I made a New York times recipe for sticky toffee pudding for dessert. And it was mm. fantastic. Um, I also just go way over the top with Mac and cheese. I'll just throw in a bunch of different boxes of like Annie's Mac and cheese and then like shredded cheese and then like, uh, breadcrumbs on top. And it's amazing. You just make like a Franken Mac and it's fantastic. But Mac and cheese is like, you can't claim that as your favorite side. Like that's too easy. That's like, oh, what's your favorite ice cream flavor? Chocolate. No way. Like it's, I don't know. It's too easy. I, it's so fine. Stuffing you know, I'm not, I'm not here to yuck any yams. <laughs> <laughs> yuck any yams. Um, oh, it's just, uh, you know, I, I very much enjoy all of the food, pretty much all of the food, like in existence, but especially that meal. And uh, I'm excited for it. I've got family coming to town from New York. Ordinarily, uh, Sam, as you are very aware, normally I'm out there for Thanksgiving. You and I have hung out in the Thanksgiving week many times. Um, but this time around, my aunt, my uncle and my cousin are coming from New York City to Denver, which I don't believe they have ever done in my entire life. Uh, we are an Italian family, so we do a full-on Italian dinner before the Thanksgiving dinner. So we, my aunt FedExed a lasagna today. <laughs> Not kidding. She made the lasagna, froze it, and FedExed it. And I said to my mom, why didn't she just pack it into her checked bag? Like, why would, why would you risk FedExing it? Because apparently it's like lost in Louisville, Colorado right now. Anyway, uh, so we're going to do that before the Thanksgiving meal itself. Uh, but I'm very excited for, for all of that. Uh, they're also coming. I have a college basketball broadcast uh, at the Air Force Academy the night before. So they're going to come down for that uh, and watch me yell into a microphone from the, from the courtside table. And so that'll be fun. But um, yeah, man, it's a, it's a good time of year. It's low November, holidays coming up. You know, it's, uh, it's all good things. Yeah, um, lots lots to celebrate this week and next absolutely. week and next week as well. Uh, we won't get a chance to talk to you next week, but enjoy whatever you do. Celebrate. We'll be back with you that first week in December. And uh, for Benjamin Hill, Josh Jackson, Sam Dykstra, and all the rest of our team at MILB.com, my name is Tyler Mon. Uh, enjoy the holiday week, and we'll talk to you the week after.